What is the highest prayer of the church? It is the holy sacrifice of the Mass that Catholic Church teaches that no other form of prayer can equal the holy sacrifice of the Mass. It is the source and summit of the Christian life. St. John Vianney said that if we really knew and understood the Mass, we would die of joy. Yet, why are so many staying away? Can you receive the same benefits from sitting in a deer stand and connecting with God as you do in a church? Can reading the Bible in your bedroom be just as efficacious to your soul as receiving the sacraments offered by the Catholic Church? Join us this hour as we receive much-needed clarity and beauty on the importance of Holy Mass on the inner life. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Hello and happy Tuesday. This is The Inner Life. Welcome to the show where we offer spiritual direction for your life of faith today. It's Brooke Taylor here again, filling in for Patrick Conley. Pleased to be back with you. So our topic, why attend Mass? In some sense, it's a simple question with a direct, beautiful answer from the Catechism. We can go right to sacred scripture. Yet within that answer, there's a lot to cover. The decline in church attendance seems to point almost, if you analyze it, to this existential amnesia, perhaps. So many people have forgotten the one for whom our heart longs, the beauty of sacramental liturgy. Even in the same family, raised in the same environment, you might have three children where only one of them actually sees the merit of attending Mass and remains faithful. And how can we receive the fullness of what Holy Mass has to offer. These are just some of the points that we hope to touch on this hour. And to walk us through is our spiritual director, frequently heard here on The Inner Life. He is Father Sam Martin. Father Martin is the pastor of Holy Name Parish in Wausau in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program, Father. Yeah, it's uh, always a pleasure and a privilege to be a part of it, Brooke, and to work with you and to see what the Holy Spirit has on tap for us today. It's a great theme, and uh, of course we hope that maybe it'll have an impact. I don't know if they're going to do any surveys afterwards to see if the percentage jumps, but um, you'll get the credit for that. But, well, the Holy Spirit, of course, will. <laughs> yes. That's always the goal. Is uh, We you know, we want to be uh, like our Creator, like uh, our Redeemer, Jesus, and of course He's faithful. Uh, having loved His own in the world, He loves us until the end. So the only question is, will we love Him? Will we receive that love and give it back to Him? It's His but he always makes us feel like we had a part to play, too. He's uh, so uh, unconditional in his love for us. So it's good to be with you, Brooke, and our listeners today. Amen. It's it's good to meet you, and I think it's a beautiful providential crescendo because as we focus on this topic this hour, that will take us right to our next lineup, which is Holy Mass. So what a beautiful opportunity to lead into that. And as we step off in spiritual direction with you this hour, I just want to share the number to get you into the conversation, include anyone who wants to offer an insight. How have you come to know and love the Mass and the Eucharist? When did Mass become real for you? We'd love to hear your story. one 914 Father is with us for the hour. So let's start there. Father, what is Holy Mass and why does the Church ask us to attend? Well, it's God's gift to His people that to come and to pay a price that we couldn't pay, to atone for sins that uh, offended God in a way that it excluded us from what he had planned from the very beginning, that he created us for himself, and until we rest in him, our, our hearts are restless. And so we, this original sin, and uh, all of a sudden, it, and it's 
people say, well, how do you prove these things? Well, I mean, just watch the news for five minutes and you'll see, well, there's something wrong. Uh, Houston, we do have a problem, and whether or not we admit it, but uh, we would say that there was some rupture in the human heart that leads us now to be selfish, to be manipulative, to be full of fear, to be unforgiving, things that we know are not right, things that we'd say that's not who I really want to be. I don't think it's who I'm supposed to be, but there it is. So uh, the idea that a world that was damaged, not destroyed, but certainly wounded by sin, was a world that God has always loved because he created it. And you and me and every human being, we have a unique dignity. We're created in his image and likeness, and that's stamped indelibly. So to save us, he sent his son, and his son gave his life on a cross. And the night before he died, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this over and over again. And each time you do, the sacrifice that is to atone for sin, to reconcile heaven and earth, to give us the hope, the courage to face our uh, frustrations, to face the things that, well, God invites us to be vulnerable, just as his side, his heart was pierced by a sword. He wants us to let the love that he, of course, offers, that love is going to pierce us. It's going to sometimes sting, not because it's a punishment, but it's a preparation. And so uh, to come to Mass is to participate in our salvation. We were made for heaven. We're obviously not there yet. I know there was the old movie, Feel the Dreams, and they said, is this heaven? They said, no, it's Iowa, which I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna, they're, they're our neighbors, so I shouldn't say anything, Brooke. But, uh, <laughs> so the Mass is Christ. It's his love for his people. It's his love for his Father. It's his obedience. And uh, he learned obedience by what he suffered, which is a, a great mystery. It's in the letter to the Hebrews. So there's a suffering involved in the Mass, and that's why we shy away from it. But that's what love is. It's willing to make sacrifices. It's willing to deny itself. I mean, St. Paul writes it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't put on airs. By the end of this long litany, we think, boy, love is really hard. Yep. That's why we should go to Mass. If we could just acknowledge that I, I want to love, but I don't know how, or I fail love, it doesn't fail me, but I guess I need to receive before I can give. I need to re- come to the Mass, to those graces that God won for us, that sanctify us, and um, pretty soon they make saints. And uh, we'd have more saints in the world if more people went to Mass. There's no doubt about that. There's a causal relationship. But that takes time, and uh, our goal is to lead people, if we could, by our own example. And so uh, the only real sorrow, I guess, is that we're not saints yet either, but with God's help, we still have that hope. So, Father, what about, you know, the non-Catholics or or non-practicing Catholics that listen and might think, well, I I can do the same thing you're talking about with all these externals that the Catholics talk about or rely on, or a naturalist might say, I can go to the beach and have a worship experience. And so to that question, we worship sacramentally, and this is the central life of the Catholic and also the, the seven sacraments, the Eucharist being the supreme sacrament, and it's defined as the outward sign of an inward grace. And I love hearing the stories from converts, and sometimes we use the words revert for those who had left and come back to the faith, where you hear their testimonies like Dr. Scott Hahn or on relevant radio a lot of times too. And the realization is of this mass that I'm experiencing is the physicality of what I believe, the making the sign of the cross, our posture of kneeling, reciting the creed. All of these are extraordinarily powerful. And just maybe wanted to ask you about that, the the sacramental aspect of worship in our faith and why that's so important and critical. Yeah, I think we always begin at least one way to uh, address these things is to affirm the good that is in every person because we're all made by the same God. And I don't, uh, wouldn't disagree that somebody worships God in nature or they 
Uh, some people really are, are very well-intentioned. Others might know better and so forth, and the Lord will sort that out. But uh, that, yeah, this is what St. Paul says at the Areopagus, you know, at, in Athens. He says, I notice this altar to the unknown God. I, I want to tell you we know who he is. If he has a son, his son was killed on a cross, and I used to persecute his followers, but he knocked me off a horse. And anyway, he's alive. Well, it was, so he starts to talk about the resurrection. And so the idea that people find God in other places, it's true. Bidden or unbidden, God is present. He's present everywhere. I mean, it, existence comes from him, and we are dust. So to dust we shall return our body, we'll, we'll die. But there's a part of us that cannot die, and that's the immortal spirit, a soul that he gave each person. So uh, what draws people to Mass in the end is the healing and the hope and being vulnerable. And that's human beings shy away from that. Like, you know, the, I'm, I'm fine, I'm, you know, I'm okay. Yeah, but wouldn't you want to be loved in your brokenness? I mean, it's just a really difficult thing for us to, to let anybody in. But the sacraments are a physical thing. I mean, you can let Jesus into your body. Well, he wants access to your heart, too, and that means everything. And that's what love is, is I, I trust you enough to let you into my hurt, to my pain, my regret, the things that I can't undo. And I may be forgiven, but I haven't forgotten. And God is able to do both, of course, because he's a perfect being. But that's why I think a lot of people shy away from us. I don't want to be that vulnerable. I mean, I, you know, I, I think they, I, uh, there's a natural sort of aversion. And maybe it's part of original, of course, it's, you know, some of the impact of original sin, but that um, do you really want to let the Lord, because, you know, whatever the Mass is, it's a sacrifice. There's a suffering and love. You're going to, if you're going to have the deepest love, you're going to have to go to places that you'd rather not go. When Jesus says that to Peter, you'll be led where you'd rather, it's not just predicting his martyrdom, but I'm going to get into some of your hurt, and I am going to heal that. You can't, and that's what the world, well, I mean, we're just convinced that we can save ourselves, we can fix ourselves, and, I mean, notwithstanding some of the advances in pharmacology and so forth, there's no pill for regret or for uh, unforgiven sin or things that um, still haunt us after all these years. That can only be healed by God's love, and that's what the Mass is. It's a, a divine medicine to reconcile God and his creatures, uh, his sons and daughters, uh, specifically the human race. And um, so Jesus, to that end, took our nature, and he allows that nature to be shabbily treated and ultimately killed on a cross, but he was God, so he couldn't stay dead. I mean, it was only his human nature that could die, and so he rises and he gives us the hope that we can die too, and die we must. We're going to all fall to sin and temptation, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, these things are impossible for us to overcome on our own. And anyone that's honest would have to admit that, that except for the Blessed Virgin Mary, that she was conceived without original sin. The rest of us carry this stain, and it affects us. And uh, we fall into things that we shouldn't do, things we shouldn't think or say, things that we should have done, but we were afraid, we were embarrassed, we you know, just didn't take up a, our opportunity to exhibit tr charity. Well, all these things are uh, healed by the Mass, and nowhere else. You know, so... Now, what about people that aren't Catholic or never had access to it or didn't know? Well, they'll be judged differently, of course, you know, but uh, Jesus said the person given much more will be expected. And if we're Catholic, I mean, I think just a lot of times people don't understand uh, and no one took the time to explain them or they didn't have good examples or they uh, were hurt by someone that was representing our faith. And there's so many ways out of the Church and away from Mass. If you want an excuse, the devil will give you 10,000 in an instant, and they all seem very credible. But they're just excuses, because the devil wants to keep us away from someone that wants to heal us and set our hearts free. Now, 
People that go to Mass are still hurting, they're still broken, they still sin, but maybe they've begun to encounter someone that uh, he walks with us. I mean, at this morning's Gospel, the Feast of St. James, that, you know, can you drink the cup that I must drink? As St. John Chrysostom points out that Jesus says, I'm going to do it too, I'm going to go through this too, I'll go with, with you, I'll uh, help you, I'll be a part of this. So um, that's what the Mass is, is it an entrance into our suffering, into our pain, and allowing anyone into that is not something that we take lightly, nor should we. But Jesus, he's knocking at the door of our heart, but we don't have to let him in. We'd be a lot happier and a lot holier if we did. So that's our hope and our prayer for all human beings and for those of us who have begun to taste and see his goodness. It's not over. It's not like, well, we're saved. We don't. No, it's day by day. I mean, tomorrow I might just give up and quit. I hope not. So we get up every morning and pray the way Jesus taught us that give us this day our daily bread the good news is not even bread it's his body and it's enough to save the whole world and every soul in it and father sam martin is with us our spiritual director for this hour here on the inner life as we talk about why attend mass and so the beauty of the sacraments the vital aspect of the liturgy and of course the summit are the blood and body of Jesus, the Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament. And I want to ask about that because we go to receive, but then there's also belief. And Barbara is on the line. I know she has a a story to tell, and I want to hear her thoughts about encountering our Blessed Lord in the Mass in a personal way. Welcome to the program, Barbara. Good morning. Hi there. Good to be joining you this morning. I had a real—I'd been sort of embracing the Catholic faith for about 10 years, and then almost 20 years ago now, I finished RCIA, and life was good, and it was positive and things, but the first time that I received the Eucharist at the Easter Vigil, it's like all my sort of yearnings in my life just left, and that powerful experience has always stayed with me almost 20 years now, and to have that really is a momentum to always try to go to Mass every day if possible, uh, to really, you know, experience Jesus, to be with Jesus in that intimate way of his body. And now we're reintroducing the cup here in Los Angeles to have that full experience of the Eucharist. That's a great testimony, Barbara. And uh, not everyone has experienced that, but you've received a gift and you've uh, kept that gift. Uh, you've cherished it. You've been a good steward of it. And now you give witness uh, so others can come to the Lord. I mean, if you uh, are weary and you find life burdensome, and I will give you rest. And I think uh, there also are the dispositions. I mean, in some way, someone helped you to be prepared to say, my heart is ready, Lord. My heart is ready for you. If, um, if we don't know in our head and we haven't prepared uh, in the proper way, sometimes we're just not able to receive because we're not really engaged or something is missing or there's a, an obstacle or some sin that wasn't uh, confessed that we were aware of but we were ashamed and so we just didn't let God really forgive that sin and we just don't even feel that it's forgivable or something. So, But Barbara, you uh, are <laughs> the great hope for all people when they come to receive Jesus to really get to know him and first to experience that he loves me and he knows my sinfulness and and I've told him that I'm sorry, and he believes me, and he says that he forgives me. So when I come to him, I feel that he really unconditionally cares about me. And it's a personal 
relationship that is uh, now is being fostered and being deepened. And uh, people say, well, why do you do this? Well, the more often we practice our faith, the more reasons we have. Like, oh, I praise God because he's forgiven me, he nurtures me, he teaches me, he inspires me, he loves me, he just does everything for me, and I'm aware of it. And that sort of gratitude that life is a gift. It's not perfect, I'm not perfect, but I still think that... Um, you know, the Eucharist is thanksgiving, and God will cultivate that. So even in our hard times, you know, we can still be grateful. So, Barbara, what we hear in you is this um, a joy, a peace, a gratitude, a humility. I mean, all the things that people say, well, where does that come from? Well, those are gifts from God. Well, who does God give those to? Well, the people that ask. He said, knock, the door will be open, ask, you shall receive. Well, I did ask. Well, sometimes we have to persevere, and... Sometimes you have to ask with the right attitude, so to speak. I want it. I want it now. Well, it doesn't always go that way. Uh, Father, I want to be a saint by the end of the week. Okay, well, let's see. Here we may have to adjust that expectation a little bit. Well, Father, you're, you've been doing this a long time. What's wrong with you? That's a longer conversation. I don't know if we can get into that today, but uh, <laughs> it just takes time and grace. But it does yes. work. It is thank work, you. but it's a holy work. And, um, Barbara, thank you for your phone call. And for all those who are thinking about, you know, uh, maybe some non-Catholics thinking, gosh, how do you receive the Eucharist? Well, the first thing is uh, we teach about who this is and how to get to know him better and how to receive him with great love and joy. And if we had more people that were able to do that, uh, it would attract other people who would want to do that. And so it's a great opportunity that we have and also a challenge for each of us to Am I any different when I come out of Mass than I was before I went in? I mean, would anybody seeing me want to go into that building, or would they just feel like, ah, I don't, that doesn't look like it's making any difference for him, so why would I bother? Uh, that's, uh, that's the challenge for each of us. Well, and it's an opportunity as well, and, and so beautifully said, Father. And I think we could easily spend the rest of the hour just focusing on the Eucharist alone because the United States... Conference of Catholic Bishops recognizing the need to reclaim, revive the zeal for the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So we have this National Eucharistic Revival started last month at the Feast of Corpus Christi. will culminate actually in Indianapolis at the 10th Eucharistic Congress of Indianapolis next year, which Relevant Radio is proudly a big part of our premier sponsor and broadcasting live. And by the way, you can get information on that at relevantradio.com slash indie. But just fostering a greater reverence and love for the Eucharist. And I think what's fascinating when you evaluate everything, these extremes playing out in the world where the body is under constant attack. We see that the body is either manipulated or used or thrown out like trash, of course, when you look at the tragedy of abortion, or worshipped and exalted and idolized. And so when it comes to matter, it's like we struggle with properly knowing what to do with physical matter. We worship God through signs that are material. So it would stand a reason that if we could get this one thing right about adoring God in the body and blood, that perhaps it would restore proper order to those other broken areas as well. Yeah, there's not much new under the sun. I mean, every generation goes through maybe different uh, trials, but uh, more or less of the same nature that uh, the commandments kind of spell it out well, that uh, to worship God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and then, of course, the love of neighbor. And we worship lots of other things and other people and uh, so forth. And 
in the end, I mean, we're just not that happy. I mean, joy is the infallible sign of God's presence, and joy comes when we open our heart. When we trust the Lord, of course, is, uh, he's a benevolent, perfect being, so he wants to give good gifts to his children. But we, um, we're just going to do it our way, and we don't like to be dependent on anybody. Or There's a fear, I mean, which was very clear during the COVID years, that fear is the opposite of faith. And so that really kind of exposed that, you know, that uh, increase our faith. That's what the apostles said. And Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, well, uh, yeah, I mean, any one of us would admit maybe at different times that the fear got the upper hand and then the isolation. And then, you know, then we think that, well, I can just watch Mass on TV. It's the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's better than nothing, but it's not anywhere near the same thing. Like, I talked to my best friend, uh, you know, we just Skype, but I haven't seen or haven't shook his hand or been in the same room in, in 10 years. Well, that's not the same thing either. Ask any parent. If somebody's across the ocean, well, it's better than nothing, but I sure miss a, you know, just a, a hug or a handshake or a kiss or just to be together. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and John Paul, the great, you know, St. John Paul, that the theology of the body, that the body expresses part of who we are. Not all of who we are. We're more than just a body, so whether we're a little baby or older and we don't hear or see as well, it still expresses part of who we are, but there's always more, and yet that part is holy to God. It's beautiful. I mean, what our body can do, how hard it can work, the ways that it can serve. I mean, God himself had a body. He chose to take on a body and then to give it up as a ransom for all sinners. So it's holy, and uh, if we could just um, come to our senses. But, you know, the, <laughs> they used to talk about the S cycle in the Old Testament, and first was success, you know, and when things are going well, uh, pride goeth before the fall, they used to say. So after success, then came sin. It's all alliteration, the S cycle. So then we fall, and then after the sin, there's a sorrow. Finally, there may be some contrition after we start stop blaming each other or blaming God, and then there's supplication. We start to pray. Finally, we come to our senses, like the, uh, the prodigal son, right? And then after a time of maybe some silence, because God is not a puppet on a string where we just, you know, you bail me out, and then we, no, God has to help us to grow up, and that's not easy because we can be kind of willful. But after the supplication, the prayer, then comes salvation. And then guess what happens? And the next generation, oh, we're doing well, so there's success, and then, well, the same pattern. We fall into sin, and we go through it all over again. Not much is new, uh, except that Christ makes all things new. Mm -hmm. And so when people have a, a reversion, they discover as if for the first time that uh, Jesus hasn't changed, but we do. Uh, thanks be to God. You know, the, the Gospels haven't changed, and they won't. I mean, Scripture reveals everything God wanted to reveal. So it's all there, but we change year after year. I hear the same parables, the same insights, and, wow, I don't think I really understood that before. Well... That's the goal of faith that seeks to understand. And uh, so we, uh, our task here in Relevant Radio and anybody that evangelizes is first to try to, to live uh, what we've received. And then what we receive without cost, we're supposed to give without cost. So, Brooke, that's what we're doing here today. And um, no one does it better on the radio anyway than, than this uh, great network. So thanks be to God for the opportunity to, to share what is a gift, faith yes. that... Uh, Amen. And more to come with that. You just said so much there from uh, the S's and, and also, you know, the, the fulfillment 
and and how we are called to to respond to that, to cooperate with that. So I want to bring that back and pick it up after the break. What do you love about Holy Mass when you contrast the Catholic churches with perhaps other, you know, non-sacramental churches? There is a difference. The stained glass windows, the beauty of the altar, the bells, the altar servers, the incense, in many cases, the staggering scope of architecture, and of course, the splendor of the tabernacle and truth, beauty, goodness, most importantly, is our Lord, the Eucharist, the priest, obviously, and everything that orients us to the source of truth, beauty, and goodness. So we'd love to hear from you. What do you love about Holy Mass? We are here for the hour discussing the topic, Why Attend Mass, with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin. He is the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. one 914 is our studio line. It's Brooke Taylor and for Patrick Conley. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the app. Back with more after the break. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at relevantradio.com slash quest. This is The Inner Life, helping you grow deeper in your spiritual journey. That's our prayer, our hope. Welcome back to the program. It's Brooke Taylor in for Patrick Conley. Our spiritual director today is Father Sam Martin, and we've been talking about the theme, the topic, why attend Mass. Our studio line is one 914 We are here for the hour if you have a story, an insight, a question. Before the break, we touched on receiving communion, the graces of the Eucharist, how many no longer believe, and there have been all sorts of studies and research into not just the Catholic Church, but across the board, the decline in people identifying as believers. And so that's an entirely different topic to explore and unpack. But something, too, I think in in an odd way, in an ironic way might be encouraging, is I think what's happening, and the reason why I say it's encouraging is by identifying the malady, we can look to hopefully the source of the, the cure, which is our Lord. But something that we have to take into account is this overall shrinking of the contemplative, the reflective, the symbolic life across Western society. We have an education system that allows young to grow up in a very individualistic sense without shared story and culture that is informed by faith and shared collective memory that we pass on, reverence, tradition. And previous generations had at least this union, even if it was unconscious, between life in the church, building, home life, and where that fails, the the ability to understand the value of what goes on inside the church fails in turn. Now so many, and that's why I think it is, you know, Padre Pio was was very strong against parents who have been charged with transmitting the faith, and that's their responsibility where they wouldn't go to Mass. You see how it's such an egregious sin because that collective memory is broken, and then it causes the children to have no formation or catechesis. And so there's a lot going on. I know, Father, yes, it, we can look at maybe it, there's a malfunction with catechesis or formation or all these different factors, but when people 
no longer see the point in doing something, they stop doing it. And that's a tough one. So just wondering, Father, how you handle that or your insider perspective on that. Well, we, it's, uh, there's no uh, you know, silver bullet to slay the, the demons of uh, futility that would say, you know, you're just not going to be able to change hearts. We can't. Only God can, and he does, but um, in his own way, in his own time. We can dispose by our own prayers and our sacrifices. I mean, they always say, relevant radio, the most frequent you know, petition request is for you know, adult children who have fallen away from the church or not going to Mass anymore, not living the faith in their regular marriages and things like that. So what are we supposed to do? Well, nothing is done in vain when it's done, you know, in communion with God. And uh, so we offer our sacrifices. We, you know, we petition the Lord. We try not to waste our suffering, the sadness, uh, the discouragement of not being able to share our faith with a culture that seemingly lost its mind. It's not the first or the last time. And God will raise up saints in his own way, in his own and he wants us to be prepared for that, that maybe God will choose me. Or, yeah, of course, the love of God had grown very cold in the, uh, uh, the 12th, 13th century in St. Francis of Assisi, St. Clair. I mean, all of a sudden, uh, St. Dominic and other saints, St. Thomas Aquinas, I mean, they, they were great saints that God raised up to all of a sudden turn the world back to what uh, the source of, of real joy is, and that's uh, communion with the Lord. So uh, we have all these other temptations, and... None of them are all that satisfying. I mean, it's just, you know, so it's technology, it's material things. And the problem with those is they give the illusion that, you know, I'm fine. You know, because, I mean, how many of us really have to worry about the material needs of, you know, going to bed hungry or not having anybody, uh, you know, to take care of me? Uh, so when things are easier on a material level, uh, the spiritual level can kind of atrophy or just be set aside. Like, uh, I'm not opposed to God, but I really don't see what use I'd have for him. So um, that's where, you know, the struggles of, like, the Great Depression or a World War, things like that, can bring people to the cross, to suffering. And then we have to face that, is it just pain in a world of pain, or is there some meaning, some purpose, or is it just, you know, evil is going to get the upper hand, so might makes right, I can do whatever I want. Well... Then there's this other narrative that people start to discover again, that there is a God who lived in this world, and he said that we would, if you live by the sword, you'll die by it. But he taught us another way, and it's a very difficult way, a very narrow way, but it's a very holy way, and he was a sign of contradiction. And, uh, but he taught his followers how to be courageous, how to love. And how, how, how did he do it? Well, he gave us these sacramental signs. He said, if you want to be... Uh, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And so he was very specific about how a person could grow. I would say that this is like the greatest opportunity we've had in some time because, uh, I mean, there's just the things that people are trying are not life-giving. People claim that they're happy, but they're very insecure about it, and they want us to, you know, you will believe this or else. Well, why, is, <laughs> why do you need my vote of approval? Because it's not really true what I'm standing for. I can't admit that just yet, but if I can get you to come around to my way of thinking, then maybe it's okay. Well, we used to do this as kids, right? When you were up to no good, you'd find the good kid and figure out a way to convince him or her, because if they got caught, probably the teachers would be, or whoever was in charge, be a little more lenient. You try to convince the good people that evil wasn't so evil, and that's an old trap of the devil. So how are we going to convince people is... Um, it's the same way as it ever was. You know, St. Francis de Sales went and preached in Geneva for, I think, four years. And uh, he had to stay outside of the town because he knew they were going to violently mistreat him. 
And after four years, the one priest that was helping him said, you know, we are wasting our time. We got like a handful of converts. This is not working. But Francis de Sales was a man of deep faith. He said, no, you're wrong about that. The seeds of faith have been sown, and now God will do what he alone can do. And, of course, all the, I mean, they all came back. They were all, of course, uh, previously convinced by John Calvin, but they all returned to their Catholic faith because the efficacy of the gospel when preached and lived is uh, irresistible. And that's why the devil is threatened by it. He knows that uh, if we just try to do what our Lord taught us to do, it'll be fine. It's going to go slow, and we're going to be sowing more than reaping. But what a privilege, what an opportunity. I mean, what else were we made for is to, to give glory to God. And, and, and what you said, too, is a great consolation to parents who are praying for a prodigal as well. Uh, the example of St. Francis de Sales and the seed has been sown because so many faithful of absolute fidelity year after year parents um, that are brokenhearted over this, you know, their children not receiving the sacraments, going to Mass, or living their faith. And so just to know you did plant those seeds in the book of James says, the prayers of the righteous avail much. And we're talking so much to explore with the beauty of Holy Mass. And that's our theme for today. Why? Why attend Mass? And the challenges, but also the the edifying reality of this beautiful prayer, the most supreme prayer of the church is a holy mass. Father Saint Martin, Sam Martin is with us, pastor of Holy Name Jesus Parish Church in Wausau, and our spiritual director for the hour here on the Inner Life. Lots of calls. Why do you love the mass? So I want to try to get through our uh, wonderful patient listeners here. Dave is on the line, and I know has relied mightily on the sacraments and the graces of mass. Welcome to the program, Dave. Hey, thank you. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I just recently retired after 35 years of law enforcement, and uh, I was always a regular attender of Mass and, uh, and of course, receiving the Eucharist. And I believe firmly that that, uh, that helped me, you know, get through all the pressures of it and, and survive. And uh, I had a good example from my father. He was a real estate man. And he could make kind of his own schedule, and he attended mass every day for a ten-year stretch. So it was really impressive. And unfortunately, at the end of his life, when he was in a, a uh, Alzheimer's type uh, home, I was there when he uh, refused to take the uh, the Eucharist, and that was I, I knew at that point. You know what I mean? He he had lost his faculties because I know he would never do that. But, uh, but again, I just think the power of the Eucharist is there if you look for it. Well, Dave, that's um, what you've been through, of course. I mean, that's not an easy job that you've done for all those years. And to be able to see the good and, uh, and to remember the goodness of the Lord and, and to see your dad go through, I mean, a, a disease that is a sign of, of original sin. It's just uh, where these things come from. And, but, um, his faith, you know, the body, you know, gets old and tired, but um, deep down the, the faith is alive because there's a part in the human soul that no one can touch but God. He's very jealous about that, and so uh, that is always alive, and no matter what may come, and uh, it's the Eucharist that can penetrate that because that is, uh, that's Jesus, and when he comes among his own, uh, please, God, we recognize him. Now, the first time Jesus came, uh, as light, we prefer darkness, and so we put the Son of Man to death. But 
like Paul re- recalls, I mean, I was a part of that too, but he has chosen me now to be a messenger of that he did this for us. He knew that we would mistreat him, he, but he would never give up, and he's never never abandoned us. And so, Dave, these years ahead, which I hope are, are really peaceful for you as you enjoy some retirement now, well-earned, can be a spiritually, um, you can be a great intercessor. You can uh, really set the world on fire in ways that only God will see, but it sounds like uh, you're primed for that. That uh, And isn't it amazing how we remember our parents probably more in death than when they were with us? And the older we get, the more we learn from them, including their own struggles and their limitations. And uh, especially when our parents had faith, wow, what a remarkable gift that is to us. And I think we look forward to thanking them, to helping them. We want to impress on them that you know how much you did for me. I don't know if I could ever really communicate it then, but in heaven this will be known, and uh, it'll be a great source of uh, joy for us. And, you know, just a word, too, about men attending Mass, and just to hear about Dave's father, uh, Father Martin, is, is so beautiful because you hear the greatest creed, the greatest catechism, is the one that we profess with our life. And through Dave's father's fidelity, then transmitting that faith to Dave and the graces that he received over the years and with the very difficult job and all that comes with that in the soul, the the, the moral, tra- all of that that you have to carry that is only known to God, I'm sure, and, and what Dave has endured and, and so many in that field and first responders and veterans and everything. And, you know, I have to say from a woman's perspective, and I don't want to speak for all women, but I have to say that when I go to daily mass... I am so encouraged by the amount of men that I see there, and I don't know if men quite know just the power of their singular presence standing there or genuflecting, kneeling in the posture of prayer at Mass. It is so encouraging, and that they themselves, just through their faithfulness of obedience in being there at Mass, whether it's daily Mass, adoration every day, praying the rosary after Mass, is so powerful and in the body of Christ, and I know in their own families as well. So could you maybe touch on the power of a praying father? Because I know statistics say that when the father takes the lead in the faith, it absolutely does make a difference in the life of the family and the children. Yeah, it's the great predictor of what one might expect in the next generation. And it's, uh, and I mean, there's all, there are always these stereotypes about what it means to be a real man or, you know, to be a good father. But it's the humility and the obedience that um, I just know in my own life, my dad, seeing him go to confession, it was just, you know, that was an acknowledgement on his part that he wasn't perfect, that he was, and that helped me immeasurably, especially in those teenage years when you're just really struggling with rebellion or, or just not understanding, you know, that dad does care for me, even though he's challenging me, and I think he's unfair and strict and all these things, but uh, it, I just, for a man to be so... Uh, dependent on the Lord is a source of strength, and it's a source of uh, of real goodness. And I think that any one of us would be um, fairly ignorant about the impact that we have on others, but it's beautiful to hear when someone says things like you've just said, Brooke, about, you know, what that impact that a man has on a woman in terms of... And that's what they used to tell us, uh, probably the, the converse of that when we were in seminary. They'd tell us, you know, I remember yes. this wise old priest said, you know, to us future priests, he said, it's you're not going to fall in love with the woman on the beach. I mean, if you fall in love with a woman, it's going to be the one who prays the rosary and goes to Mass every day. That's the one that you're attracted to because she loves Jesus, and he's the one that you serve. And so when you see Jesus in another soul, you're drawn to him. 
And that's the beauty of our faith, and that's how people are attracted. That's how a daily mass crowd can grow if there's, um, there's reverence. And, but there has to be also, you know, some familiarity with each other, a community on a natural level, and that just comes from the Eucharist. It starts that we had a, a prisoner that was sick, and he was um, attending to some heart issues, and everybody noticed that he was gone, and they're all asking, how is he? And then they're praying for him, and today he was back, and there's just a, a joy. And when he admitted when he came back, he just... He felt so much at home, and he was kind of getting emotional. Just and that, our faith is a foretaste of our heavenly home. You know, to receive the Eucharist is a taste of, of that someday it's going to be okay. It's, we're going to have a happy ending. That we're going to be at peace with the ones that sometimes we still disagree with, or we've been hurt by, or we've hurt them, and we feel re- regret. But so, the witness of others is uh, can never. I mean, there's just no equal. There's no supplanting that, and that's what. Um, that's what the Lord does. Is he just goes around and raises up little saints. It uh, won't be canonized, but doesn't matter to God or to them once they get to heaven. And uh, they have the greatest impact and because they are now united with Christ. And he's saving his people. He's never been thwarted by anybody. And his, the ancient enemy of human nature is his enemy too. But the, his enemy is a creature. And Jesus is God. And there's a world of difference. And so he doesn't seem to to labor under the fear and anxiety that we do. He does suffer. He gave his life, and it cost him everything. But he's not afraid. And uh, with his help, we don't have to be either. And I think what I keep hearing as you're explaining that is is a beautiful love story, and and a love story of of the priest who lays down his life for the beloved, his bride, the church, of, of us, of our families, and the reconciliation that as we are conformed uh, to the risen Christ. That's our hope. And I want to pick that up on the other side of the break. Father, your first Mass, maybe you could recall that as a priest, and uh, what a sublime experience I imagine that must have been. The Church asks us to attend the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass every week. Why isn't sitting in a deer stand or saying a prayer in the woods the same thing as receiving communion? That's just one of the things that we've talked about, we've covered on our uh, hour here on The Inner Life with our spiritual director here today, Father Sam Martin, and taking your calls. Appreciate your feedback. I want to get to Veronica. We have Christy on the line. We'll see if we can do it with the time we have. one 914 The phone lines are open. Taking your calls. My name is Brooke Taylor. In for Patrick Conley here on The Inner Life. Back in a moment with more on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at RelevantRadio.com slash quest. Welcome back to the program. This is The Inner Life, helping you grow deeper in your spiritual journey. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Patrick Conley. Pleased to be with you today, along with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin. He is the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. The topic today is why attend Mass. So from the top of the show, we have looked at everything from what the Catechism says, what our Blessed Lord says, the sacraments, and also we're talking about the Eucharist, receiving communion, and the source and summit, so many things, the Mass, the highest prayer of the Church, and lots of calls that kind of span different aspects of those topics. So with the time we have left, I want to see if we can get to our patient, Veronica, who is with us in Veron- in uh, California. You're on with Father <laughs> Martin. Veronica, hello. 
Hello. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Good morning. So my question is mostly around logistics. Um, I know that uh, attending Mass is very important. It's been very important to my family every Sunday. So it's not a question about attending. However, recently we've had some staff changes. They brought a new priest along, and the homily is just, uh, you can't understand what he says. He's very elderly. But I feel bad um, because we are parish members. That is the school we chose for, for my kid. And I feel like guilty leaving the parish because I'm not understanding a homily. Is it okay to leave the parish because of that? Um, that's kind of the question I have. Yeah, it's a, it's a reasonable question. You're not the only one. Uh, I suppose others list, other listeners, and of course in the history of the Church, these things happen. But um, I always think if we can, if we could address it, maybe a, uh, if you didn't feel like doing it in person, maybe a kind note to say, sometimes a person, oh, you know, you're right. Uh, I could be more concise. I, I could, you know, um, they're just things that maybe the person would change. And I always think that, you know, maybe you go somewhere else for a while, but you don't have to quit the parish. You don't have to change membership. I, I think as a priest, I mean, the Holy Father has been pretty, uh, you know, instructional about the length of the homily. And I think if you're well prepared and you've thought and prayed, that you can say a lot in a short amount of time. It's not the length, but it's the depth of it. It's the encounter that a person has with God. So, I, uh, if it were me raising a family, and it's if, first of all, if the, if the person's not teaching what the church teaches, they'd just kind of move on. Uh, we don't have time for that, or uh, it, these other sorts of things that can make it really difficult. Uh, I think that you can have a beautiful daily Mass in 30 minutes and a beautiful Sunday Mass in 60 minutes. Not to rush it, be reverent, pious, but to keep in mind that if you're consistent, there's something about that that draws people. They can kind of, they know what they're going to get. And if you're having a 90-minute Sunday Mass, and with little kids, I mean, I just think that sometimes priests or celibates we don't know how hard it is to keep little kids, you know, patient and focused. And a long homily that the kid's not getting anything out of uh, is not going to be so easy. So if, they, if there's a way to uh, approach the priest or maybe the pastor, if there's somebody else in charge, that would be the best thing. But if not, maybe you just have to go elsewhere for a while. And um, But you wouldn't have to switch parishes. You could just go somewhere else. You could still support them, you know, financially and with your prayers. But... Um, and then come back when things change, because someday they will. Thank you, Veronica. And thank you, Father. And I think, too, just a reminder always to to pray for our priests and just their, their vocation and their, their gifts, their stamina. Because, of course, there's a great responsibility of the priest. The way he celebrates the lit- liturgy doesn't reflect the truth at the center and just you know really focusing on that. The priest must reflect the beauty inherent in the Mass and, um, you know, as you pointed out, there, there's all sorts of different n- nuanced things and maybe challenges within that. And I don't want to broad brush stroke it at all. But I just think that um, that prayer is, is so important, too. And we just have a little bit of time left. But I want to get Christy because she's been so patiently holding in Miami and her remarks. Hi, Christy. Hi. Um, hello, Father. Um, yeah, hi, Christy. <laughs> hi. Um, I really love Relevant Radio, by the way. Um, okay. So so I just wanted to mention that um, I've always loved the Mass because I've been going since I was a child with my dad, and I could literally feel the presence 
of the love of God, I think. I, I really believe that. Um, and um, I was mentioning earlier that, um, you know, we, we, we owe God to be grateful to him, and he only asks the requirement is one hour a week. You know, didn't the Lord at the uh, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane say, uh, um, could you not watch one hour with me? So um, um, I think God wants to see his children in his house, and, that's, and um, we should be there so that we, you know, God gives us everything, our jobs, our health, our families, everything that we have, and then we should we should go and, and be grateful, make that time, even if we don't feel like it. Honestly, sometimes we don't. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I do, I love Mass, but sometimes the flesh gets in the way, and or sometimes um, distraction, and, and then you say, no, I'm going to make this time to go. Um, I remember this one time, I was 18, and I uh, was having major difficulties in my life with my family, and I was sitting in the front pew, and at that time, I didn't even know the rosary, but um, there was a statue of um, Our Lady, a wooden statue, very simple one, and and in the middle of Mass, I just, I think I just, in in my heart, I just was uh, praying to her, asking her to, to be with me, and I could feel her presence with me, and and I had never, uh, and I, I I'll never forget that experience because I could feel my heart like melting. So I didn't know her. I didn't know the rosary, um, um, but I mean, I went to Catholic schools, but it unfortunately wasn't a huge part of my family. It wasn't like a very religious family. But I will say, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm, Oh yeah, sure. So I'm I'm just grateful for the mass. I'm grateful that God is such a, a loving God and and a a healing presence. You know. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much, Christy. Yeah, beautiful, Christy. Yes. Thanks for calling today. And um, it was G.K. Chesterton. He's a, a convert, great author. He said the mass is long and boring unless you really love God. And well, this much is certain is God really loves us. So. Uh, if people experience that, you know, I, I'm, this is long and I'm bored, yeah, maybe our hearts just aren't engaged yet, but uh, that's the invitation, that's the goal. And to ask you, the, as she talked about the Blessed Virgin Mary, to ask Our Lady to mother us and may her maternal mantle cover all the souls that are lost and bring them back to the heart of the Father. As Providence would have it on our programming schedule, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is next, and we're almost out of time, so please would you give us your blessing, Father, as we conclude today. May God bless you with a deep gratitude to his Son for the gift of his life in the Eucharist. May he bless you now, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Sam Martin, again, our spiritual director, joining us from Wausau, Wisconsin. God bless you. St. James, Ora Pro Nobis. Thank you to producer Nick Sentovich. Again, I'm Brooke Taylor in for Patrick Conley. I'll be back with you tomorrow as we grow deeper in our understanding, our reverence for the Pater Noster, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Until next time, God bless you. Grace and peace.